0: Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. So the, uh, the the theme for the series we're in, we're in a series on the book of Colossians, and the theme for this series, if you haven't gotten it already, is the preeminence of Christ, is the, um, the authority of Christ, that he is all-powerful, he is supreme over all creation, um, that he is the firstborn of creation, he is the firstborn from the dead, that there is none before him, and he is supreme over all. And so that is the theme for this series, um, and I'm going to warn you, today I'm going to offend you. And some of you are saying, well, who do you mean you? And when I say you, I mean you. You. <laughs> It's not my intent to offend you. So if you have a problem with something I say, take it up with God. He's the one who wrote this stuff. So uh, you can talk to him about it. Uh, I'm just walking through what it says. And I'm trying to do that with as much fidelity as possible. So believe me, if you think I'm picking on you, just wait. I'm going to get to everybody in your family. I promise. Uh, So we're going to start. Some of you are like, why did we come to church today, right? Uh, So we're going to start in Colossians chapter 3. and We'll begin in verse 18. And it says, wives. Submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And some of you right now are like, yep, that didn't take very long, right? (laughs) Offended already, thank you. And this is, this is an idea that we've talked about here at church uh, quite a few times. It's one that al- almost every wedding I perform, and I don't do a ton, some of our staff do a lot more than I do, but uh, every wedding I perform I talk about this idea of submission. And we push back against this idea of submission. We're a little uncomfortable with it because what we think of is uh, one party being dominant over another party. And really this idea of submission it's true for all of us. It's not just for women. It's not just for wives. It is for all of us. There's this idea in Scripture that if we are mature believers, we will be mutually submitted to the people around us. That that we will be willing to submit ourselves when we need to be. Um, I've talked about this before, but I've got an, We have an incredible team here at Summit, don't we? Aren't you grateful for our pastors and our staff? And there are times. That, that I come to them and we'll talk about a, a certain area of ministry that maybe they supervise, that they're over, a department that they lead. And they'll ask me a question and we'll talk about things. And a lot of times I'll come back to this. I'll say, well, you know what? Use your best judgment, I trust you. And what I'm saying is you're an expert in that field And so I'm going to submit to you in this situation. It doesn't mean I'm not the boss. It doesn't mean that I'm not the leader. But what it means is in this situation, I'm submitting to them because I trust them and love them and I know that they trust and love me in this organization. Does that make sense? And so there's this idea that all of us come under submission. No matter who you are, if you own your own business, you still come under submission. If you don't believe me, try uh, try to not pay your taxes this year, right? We all come under submission. We either submit or we will be brought under submission. Um, try not pulling over when the, the disco lights are on on the car behind you, right? The blue and reds come on. You just keep going. I'm not submitted to them. I'm, I'm just submitted to Christ. They will prove to you that you are submitted to them, right? <laughs> so the truth is, all of us are in submission to someone or something, um, and if we're mature about it, we understand that it's not a death sentence. It's not something that, that we have to shun. But if, if our hearts are right before God, we can come into submission to those around us when we trust them and love them and know them. Uh, w- one of the problems is that sometimes our hearts aren't right, and so submission is difficult. Um, Ladies, I'm not trying to pick on you, but let's go back to Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve sinned. And remember, it was Adam and Eve. It wasn't just Eve. Eve didn't lead man astray. Uh, Man was there too. He didn't do his job. And so Adam and Eve, they sinned. They, They were rebellious against God, and there was punishment for that. Now, I want you to understand something. Our God is a gracious God. He's a benevolent God, but he's a righteous God as well. So he wants to have mercy on us, but there's still consequences for sin. There's still consequences for our actions. So he can redeem us and save us but that doesn't mean that there aren't consequences and so in this situation Adam and Eve sinned before the Lord and he redeemed them he covered their sin but uh, there were still consequences for their sin so in Genesis 3 16 he is talking to Eve and he says I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing in pain you shall bring forth children your desire shall be contrary to your husband but he shall rule over you now that first part says that there will be pain in childbirth, and some of you are thinking thanks a lot Eve right so it would have been so much easier. If you've never had a child or you've never been in the room when it, with, you, with your spouse, maybe when your child was born, I used to have images of the movies. You know in movies when a, a woman is having a baby, it's always violent. You know what I'm talking about? Like the woman is cursing her husband like, like a longshore sailor, like just cussing him up and down, you did this to me, and, ah, like screaming. And that's the image I had. I was preparing myself. And then I realized that, that God has blessed our planet was something, and you might not agree with this, but I do, and I haven't even had it, but it's called an epidural. Yes. <laughs> yes. I truly believe an epidural is a common grace that God has just blessed humanity with. Uh, and so uh, there's still issues with that, but at the end of the day, you don't have to have all the screaming and cursing at your husband and things like that, right? Uh, and so we kind of found a, a workaround on this whole uh pain and childbearing. Sometimes we have the epidural, but you need an epidural when they're like 18 too, don't you? Like, oh gosh, this is worse than the childbirth, right? So the second part though says, your desires shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Now, sometimes um, uh, there's this idea, and we won't get into it today, called complementarianism. And complementarianism says men and women are—they complement each other, but they have very separate, different roles. That the roles men have are to lead, to lead a church, to lead a home, and women have separate roles. And we won't get into all that today. I will tell you, from my perspective, the way I look at scripture is I believe um, I believe women are just as called to ministry as men are. I I feel like women have just as high an anointing on them as men do. And if you don't believe that, you've never heard my wife preach. <laughs> Um, but I, I feel like, I feel like um, there's probably a middle ground someplace. But what happens sometimes is some people who feel strongly about it will use a passage like this one and say, uh, hey, no, 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 it says right here that the husband shall rule over you. And, and I want to say this, I don't believe this is prescriptive. I don't think this is God saying, here's my best, that the man is going to rule over the woman, because again, we have an idea that a man is dominant over his spouse, that he's domineering, that he's he's calling all the shots, uh, but I think what what we see here is a consequence of sin that... Uh, because of sin, the natural response is that the woman will be contrary to her husband and the husband will look to dominate his wife. But if you look in in the New Living Translation, it says like this, and you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. And this is what I was talking about earlier. We have a problem with submission, no matter who it is, if our hearts aren't right. But if we're mature in the Lord, we can learn how to submit to people, trust them, and respect them. If you look in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter five is a fantastic uh, chapter. I love it. It talks about relationships between men and women and our husbands and wives. It talks about the relationship between the church and Christ and this beautiful mystery that it is. And one of the things it says is, Wives submit to your husbands as the church submits to Christ. And we would think it was silly if I ever got up here and said, Hey, church. I want you to know something. I feel like I heard from God, and God has spoken to us, and we're supposed to do this. But don't worry, we're not going to do it, okay? We're not doing that. Uh, who does he think he is trying to tell us what to do, right? You'd be like, uh, I think we came to the wrong church, right? Because who in their right minds would think that way? But yet what happens is sometimes in our flesh we will come into disagreement and there's this tension in us because there's a natural, and that's just for women by the way, there's a natural propensity in us to want to be the boss. And again, if you don't believe me, you've never watched kids play, have you? A little girl and a little boy and they will get in there and that little girl will let the little boy have it. This is what we're doing and you're going to be the daddy and I'm the mama and. Right? And you're the doctor, and, and they'll they'll give directions, they'll give orders, they'll tell you how it's done. Um, and there's a natural propensity in all of us to want to be the boss, to want to be the head, to be the ruler. And what what we see here is Paul is saying, Hey, this is God's best. That that, that wives will learn how to trust their husbands and, and submit to their hearts, even though they're not perfect. And let's be honest. Uh, the husbands not, might not even know better than the wives because I've got a pretty smart wife. Um, the wife might even know better than me. But in that, we lay down, remember we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, we lay down our preferences, we lay down our rights for the good of the body of Christ. And so this is what Paul calls us to in maturity. He says, here's what we should be doing, we should submit. And, and really what we see at the end of Ephesians chapter 5, we see this idea that, that one of man's greatest needs is to be respected. That's one of the things men need more than just about anything else is to feel respected, to feel honored, to feel like they are important. Uh, And one of women's greatest needs, again, we see this in Ephesians 5, is to feel loved unconditionally. And so what Paul is saying is, hey, ladies, understand that your husband needs to feel respected, that you trust him, that you can submit to his leadership, his godly leadership in your home. Um, So have, have I said enough for women? Is that okay? All right. I don't know if I've adequately offended you, but I'll, I'll work on I'll talk about parenting in just a second, so I'll, get, I'll, I'll circle back to you. Don't worry. <laughs> Colossians 3.19 says, husbands, all the guys are just holding on now, right? Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. So I said just a moment ago, one of a woman's greatest needs is to feel loved unconditionally, to feel like uh, they're supported emotionally and loved and cared for and nurtured. That's what a woman needs. And this is one of the problems because so many people um, have this idea that if we are married, it must mean that I love you, right? So why would I need to tell you over and over and over and drone on about it? I've heard guys say, of course I love her. I work every day. I'm like, well, that's not really what this passage is talking about, right? Like, it's great that you work every day. It's great that you're putting in the hours, but that's not really what this is talking about. Uh, we've talked about the, the, the Greek word for love. There's five primary Greek words for love, and one of them is agape. And agape love is a, um, it's a sacrificial love. This is the love that, that we have to will ourselves to do when we don't feel like it. This is the love that we have for people in our lives that maybe are hard to love. Um, This is the boss who you feel like is out to get you and you have to make a choice to love them This is in your marriage when you don't feel like loving your spouse because can we be honest? Not every day is like a honeymoon. Don't there aren't there days that you don't feel like loving your spouse the way the scripture calls us to love them And that's not a revelation. I think we've all been there And, And so this is where agape love kicks in and we go. No, no, no. I'm choosing to love in spite of how I feel Uh, because this is how God loved us. He loved us sacrificially. He laid something down for us. And so when we look at this word here, it says, husbands love your wives. It's the verb form of the word agape. And and what it means is that we love sacrificially, but it has to take action. It has to be active. It it can't be this noun that is just known that, hey, of course I love you. We know that. It can't even just be words that you say, I love you. There have to be actions behind your words that, that even if you never said anything, your wife would know you loved her by the way you acted. That it would be evidence by your action of how you actually feel. Does that make sense to anybody? So, so what Paul is saying is, don't just say you love your wife. Act like you love your wife. Do things that indicate that you care and love and cherish your wife. And so that's the first part. And then the second part is, it says, do not be harsh with them. And the first thing I think of is this idea that um, um, we're we're mean to our spouses. That, that, you know, there's a stereotypical man is mean to his wife. You know, he's had a hard day at work and he takes it out on his family. And if we're going to be honest, uh, this is for all of us, not just for men in the room. The, The people that it's easiest to take advantage of in our lives are the people that are closest to us. Because we feel like, well, they've got to forgive me, I'm their dad. Well, they've got to forgive me, I'm his wife. I'm got, right? So we go, well, they've got to because, but the truth is sometimes the people we love the most are the people we treat the worst at times. And we've got to guard our hearts against that because we're harsh with them. But it's interesting when you look at this word harsh, uh, the, the Greek word for harsh actually means to make bitter or to embitter. Um, And the picture it paints is this picture of something that is sweet to eat or maybe sweet to drink, and it's been left unattended. And because it's been left unattended, it becomes bitter. So something that was once good now becomes bad because it's left unattended. If we're going to be honest, this is what happens in so many marriages and so many relationships. We take them for granted. We get busy. We stop attending to the relationship, and before we know it, It's something that was once beautiful and lovely and good and sweet has become bitter. And so what Paul is saying here is not just don't be mean to your wife, but attend to your wife. Nurture your wife. Take care of your wife. Make sure you're paying attention to the relationship so something that was once good doesn't become bad, so something that was once sweet doesn't become bitter. And I mentioned this verse, Ephesians 5.25. It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Um, my wife, before we moved up here to Pennsylvania, in Oklahoma City, we had uh, my wife had a counseling practice. And because of HEPA laws, she could never disclose anything specific or client information, things like that. But she dealt with a lot of of, uh, difficult marriages and relationships, families. That was her primary focus. And she would come home and she wouldn't even tell me any details. She would just walk in the door and put her bags down and look at me and say, I'm so thankful for you. That's right you are. Don't don't you forget it, lady. Right? (laughs) And I knew what happened. I knew what happened. She didn't even have to tell me. What happened is she sat in on a counseling session. She talked to a couple, and the husband was cheating on his wife, or he's addicted to porn, or he was abusive, or whatever it might be, And, and she recognizes, man, my husband's not nearly as bad as these guys, right? And so she comes home, and she says, I'm so thankful for you. Now, it would be easy for me to live in that and go, that's right. I don't abuse my wife. I'm not addicted to porn. I'm not cheating on my wife. I'm a great husband, But what we see here in Ephesians chapter 5 is that is the wrong standard for us to live by. The the correct standard for us is, is Christ and how he loved the church. And how did he love the church? He loved the church sacrificially. He gave himself up for his bride because he loved his bride so much. And so when I look at that standard compared to the standard my wife was using, I'm falling way, way, way short of what Christ demands for my wife. And when we examine ourselves in that way, when we allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us as husbands that way, it's kind of convicting because we realize maybe I'm not doing as good a job as I think I am. Because I, although I'm the pastor of this church, I can still be pretty selfish sometimes. I still want my way. Um <laughs> When, when my wife, last night, I, I'd been in bed for a little bit. My wife had been stripping wallpaper down in the dining room. By the way, I helped before I came to church last night. And so I had gotten in bed and gotten comfortable, and she had finished, and she came upstairs, and she was tired, and she said, hey, would you mind taking the dog out? And my first thought was, I'm in bed. You are not, right? <laughs> and I didn't, even, I didn't even mask it very well with my wife. I think I, like, went... So I didn't say it. But I was going, I'm already in bed. I'm comfortable here, right? And simple things like that where I went, you know what? Nope, I'm taking the dog out. And so, you know, for me, a lot of effort is putting pants on. So I put some pants on. I was going to take the dog out. And then again, thank God for children because I saw Emma coming up the stairs. I was like, Emma, your mom wants you to take the dog out. (laughs) <laughs> well the truth is we're all selfish right we all want us and what's good for me and what makes me comfortable and and what paul says is hey no, no 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 a godly husband will sacrifice his life for the woman he loves let alone get out of bed to take the dog out right because we're quick to say, I'd take a bullet for my family. That's right. But would you let your wife pick the radio station on a road trip? Or let her have the controller? I mean, hello, we're getting serious now. It's, it's Christmas time, Hallmark movies, right? No, 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 stop it. I rebuke you. But the truth is, all of us are Selfish. And all of us have to submit that to Christ. All of us have to say, God, help my selfish heart. Help me love the way you love because I can't love that way on my own. So when we compare ourselves to others, we do pretty well, don't we? When we compare ourselves to the way Christ loves us, we fall far, far, far short of his goal for us. So, so far, it's been wives, it's been husbands. Colossians 3.20 says this, children, obey your parents in Everything. For this pleases the Lord. Some of you are like, hey, we need to get the kids back in here for this, right? They were in here for baptisms. Bring them back in. Um, Now this is what you have to understand. I've had conversations with adult children before uh, and they have heard a passage like this and they go, okay, Mel, but what about me? Because my parents don't go to church. They're not godly. So they're giving me feedback that I'm not comfortable with. But the Bible says, obey your parents. So what am I supposed to do? Uh, And this is what I would tell you. The assumption by Paul in this passage, is that um, there would be mature believers, so a mature wife and a mature husband, that we wouldn't push back too hard against loving our wives sacrificially or or wives submitting to their husbands. And and the idea here is that that there's a mature believer raising up a child. So this is what I would tell you. you. If you are in a relationship with a parent who is not a believer, you honor them, you submit to them, but when they, give you God, when they give you ungodly advice or advice that is contrary to what the Word of God says, the Word of God is always preeminent over that. This is where you go, Mom and Dad, I love you, but that differs with what my heart is and what the Word of God says for my life, and I'm sorry. This is where you have a hard conversation. We've talked about that over the course of the series as well. And that's where you just have to talk through this and love them even though you've got differences in that. Um, But but what you have to understand is that parents have a role in raising and developing their children. Um, And really, this passage, I I feel like I want to share something with you because what we see is that children are to obey parents in everything, right? Right? If you're a godly parent and uh, you, are, you are looking out for the best in your children, according to what the Word of God says, then your children should obey you. And really, for the most part, parents do a good job of this. We, we say things like, uh, you are going to school today, but I don't feel like going to school today, but you are going anyway, I don't care, because I don't want you to be a 45-year-old guy living in my basement come someday because you dropped out of fifth grade, right? <laughs> so maybe that's a little selfish because we just don't want them in our basement, but the truth is We've got a goal in mind for them, don't we? We say, I've got a plan for you that does not include you being a dummy because you dropped out of school, right? So I'm not going to let you make a choice about not attending school because it will be detrimental for you in the long run. If, if they're sick and they're snotty and coughing and, you, okay, we got to go to the doctor. I don't want to go to the doctor. Okay, here's the thing you need to go to the doctor because I've got a plan for you that includes you being healthy so you can go to school, so you can interact with people, so you won't uh, cause an outbreak in our community. So um, I want you to be healthy, so I'm going to take you to the doctor and you're going to get a shot, or you're going to get medicine, you, whatever it is that, that we're going to take care of this. You don't get a choice in this because I've got a plan for you that does not include, does that make sense to anybody? But yet the one area that we seem to be really reluctant to make our kids obey in is church attendance some of you are thinking i thought this was about kids no no we're back to parents (laughs) because i've had conversations with parents that go something like this hey have your kids come to youth yet and they're well no how come well i just hate to make them come to church really how come well, um, you know, I grew up in a church that my parents made me go to, and it just was bad, it was hard, and so I just don't want to do that in my kids. And this is actual conversations, and so I'll ask, is our church anything like the church you grew up in? Oh, no, our church is great, it's so much fun, it's fantastic. The church I grew up in was, da-da-da, and they'll fill in the gap. And so then I'll just usually not even say anything, just like, <laughs> all right then, like, what's the argument, Right? Because we would never think to say, well, you know what, I mean, I know my child needs to go to school, but I, my parents made me go to school when I was a kid. And I hated school, I just don't want my child to hate school someday. Well, I know they should go to the doctor, but I just, I don't want them to hate the doctor, so I'm not going to make them go, I hope they don't go sick, right? <laughs> but yet, when it comes to church, we do that. We go, well, you know, I want them to make their own decisions, this is a side note, I read a, a, a story this last week that said that, um, that there's a move among sociologists to stop calling babies babies. So they wanna call them babies because it's gender neutral. And so they'll call them babies till they're four, and then when they're four, you let them decide if they're a boy or a girl which is insane to me because we don't even let 18-year-olds drink alcohol, right? We don't let 15-year-olds drive a car, but we're going to let a 4-year-old decide their gender. And it's like, we usually do a good job about letting kids make decisions about little things but not big things, and yet when it comes to church attendance, we let them, what am I supposed to do? I mean, I'm just the parent. Yeah, you are the parent. I, my parents had a philosophy when I was a kid. My dad, I've, I've told you the story before. My dad, I'd say, Dad, I don't feel good. I don't know if I can go to church today. He said, well, have you thrown up yet? And, no, sir. And he said, well, you, you're not that sick. You should feel good enough to go to church. Let's go to church. Okay. And then I'd get lucky, and I'd be like, Dad, I'm sick. I can't go to church. Have you thrown up yet? Yeah, I did. Well, you should be feeling better. Let's go to church. <laughs> what? Parents, you have a responsibility. Don't worry. If, you, if you're if you not tired of this, I'm gonna circle back to it in just a second, in the next verse, actually. Verse 21 says this, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Um, and I've said this before from stage. Uh, I feel like one of my spiritual gifts with my girls is the gift of provocation. Uh, I like to provoke my girls sometimes, so I'll do like the honking at school or I'll do things to embarrass them. Um, but the, the other night was the uh, light-up parade downtown in, in Indiana on Friday, and uh, my daughter, my youngest daughter, Emma, she's she goes to Sue at Dance, and so she was marching in the parade, and we were at 7th Street in Philly, and we were waiting there by RMC Park, and when she came through, the whole group of us that were together... Um, we started cheering like wildly, calling her specifically by name, Emma Massingale, Emma Massengale, like ch- screaming. And so, you know, she was doing her dance, but she, would, she made eye contact with us, was like, yeah, yeah, okay, you know. And so we cheered and we screamed and it was fun. And they were going to go down to like 5th in and Philly, and that's where they were going to stop. And so I had her jacket and I, I said, I'm going to go down to meet Emma. And Abby said, I want to walk with you. So Abby and I decided to take off. So we were going down the street and I said, Abby. If we hurry, we can get in front of them and we can cheer for her again. <laughs> and Abby said, that's a fantastic idea. <laughs> so, so your pastor was running down the sidewalk on Philadelphia Street. And uh, I was incognito. I had my stocking cap on and jacket and I guess my beard. You can't miss it, though. And so I would have people from the church go, hey, Pastor Mel, like, I can't talk now. I'm going right like, wouldn't even speak to him, like running, and we'd get ahead of him, and we'd wait, and she would come down, and we'd, Emma Massingale, oh my gosh, we love you, you're good day dancing, you're wonderful, and like just rah, over the top. So she went by, and we, I mean, just the whole time, we'd cheer for her, and she'd stop, and go, okay, let's go, and we'd run. <laughs> I think the fifth time... <laughs> I think the fifth time. By like the fourth time, she was looking for us. Like she was doing her dance thing, and she's looking in the crowd, like, you know, trying to find us. And the fifth time, she found us before we could start cheering, and she just did this. She was dancing, doing her thing, and she just went. (laughs) (laughs) So you hear that story, and you go, doesn't that kind of contradict what you just said? And it does to some degree, but... But the truth is, um, what Scripture is saying is, don't provoke your children, right? Don't um, don't cause them to be bitter or angry or upset. And part of this is, I feel like I know my kids' boundaries. I know where the line is with them. It doesn't sound like I do, but I promise I do. Um, and, the, and the truth is, when you look at the Greek word for provoke here, uh, the word means to stir up, excite, or stimulate. And really, that is... That's the primary purpose of a parent. Not to do kind of what I did necessarily, but the primary purpose of a parent is to stir up and stimulate and excite something within our children for the glory of God. That is what we should be doing. If you think back to the passage we talked about last week, um, Colossians 3.1, it says... If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And so what Paul is saying is make sure your focus is on the right thing. So we seek heavenly things. The word seek there can also be interpreted as crave. So what he's saying is crave or desire heavenly things, not just earthly things. And one of the problems we have is, as parents, we're supposed to be stirring up or stimulating or exciting the right thing in our kids to help them be provoked to the right action, to the right things. And too many times we're provoking them to things that are earthly and don't have any eternal value. So so what happens is um, we say okay, um, hey, here's a good thing. My daughter is involved in dance. She's involved in basketball. Uh, She plays lacrosse. These are all great activities. These are good things. But what happens is we take a good thing and we make it a supreme thing and we back everything off. We go, well, we can't come to youth because she's got basketball practice. Okay. Um, You might not be sending your kid to hell because they don't attend youth one time but we are definitely sending our message to our children to say what's important in our lives. Um, well, we're only going to attend church if we have time. We're only going to have you go to youth if, if you don't have something else more pressing going on. <laughs> I'm totally in your business during this message, by the way. <laughs> I had a parent last night after the service, she heard this message, and she said... Um, you know what, we have an activity that keeps us out and she heard me say this stuff and she said, and you know what, we just can't help it. I mean, she couldn't be on this this travel team if she wasn't at rehearsal, so we gotta be at rehearsal. And I thought, I think you're missing what I was talking about. Because we go, well, it's not that big a deal, it's not that bad, but at the end of the day, we're sending a message to our kids saying, hey, your athletic development and the potential for a scholarship someday is, is more important than you growing spiritually in your faith. And we're making decisions for our kids right now at 8 or 10 or 11 or 15 years old that are going to impact them the rest of their lives potentially. And as parents, we go, well, we're trying to get, help them get ahead in school scholastically or athletically, and this is important for them to develop this way. But what we're doing is we're neglecting their spiritual development. And if I can really get in your business, the Word of God, it seems to indicate that it's not my job or Pastor Christina's job or Pastor Ricky's job to make sure your kids are godly. It's your job. Right. Yeah. It's our job to come alongside you. <laughs> Some of you are wondering why you came today, aren't you? It's our job to help you. It's our job to help equip you. But it, it's your responsibility. When I get to heaven someday as a pastor, I'm going to be held responsible for the people in our church. But you as a parent are a pastor of your home. That's right. And you will be held responsible for the spiritual welfare of your kids. Now, I'm not saying this to heap condemnation on you. I'm trying to help you see what God has for you. That there's something better, there's something more important. Because at the end of the day, um, if Emma was a starter on the seventh grade basketball team or a bench warmer on the seventh grade basketball team, won't make a bit of difference in what God calls her to do someday. She is not going to someday say, I wish I'd gotten those basketball lessons, those individual workouts, so that I could have been a starter. My life would have been so much better if I was a starter on the seventh grade team. No. She's going to be concerned about her spiritual well-being, where she's at. That's what's going to make a difference in her marriage someday. That's what's going to make a difference in her job someday. So what Paul says is the same thing for us. Let's focus on the things that really matter. In the Passion Translation, this verse 21, it says, and fathers don't have unrealistic expectations for your children, or else they may become discouraged. See, one of the problems is, and this isn't always the case, but sometimes we as parents, maybe we didn't perform as well when we were in junior high or high school as we would have liked, either in school or in, in athletics, and, and we've transferred this pressure onto our kids. We need them to perform so I can feel better about myself. I can measure myself against the other parents based on how well my daughter performs. And what we do is we place unrealistic expectations on our kids, and we wonder why they're discouraged. We wonder why they can never measure up. We wonder why they're frustrated. Luke 9, 25, Jesus said this. So again, if you have a problem with it, talk to Jesus about this. He said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits his own soul? Let's be... Heavenly-minded. Let's be spiritually focused, not just earthly focused. Verse 22 says this, Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Now, bond servants, um, this is literally translated as slave, but it's different than slavery that we know of in like the deep south. in in Civil War era, what this was was probably indentured servitude. It was people who couldn't pay debt, and so they were forced into labor. Uh, And what it's saying is, if this is your situation, obey your master. And you go, well, that's not us, but it kind of is, because some of you are working someplace because you've got some debt you got to pay off, right? You got a mortgage, you got a credit card bill, you got a, you know, uh, um, student loans, whatever it might be. And so in that way, we go, okay, I'm working to pay off this debt. And we go, well, that's different because my boss is a jerk. I don't like my boss. He's mean to me. He's making me work long hours. I get all that. But what Paul says here is obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service. So he says, don't just do it when they're watching and when they're not around. You're like, can you believe this guy? Who does he think he is? No, he says, be sincere. Be, when your boss is there, be the same person you are when your boss isn't there. Then you go, well, my boss is a jerk, though. I get it. We've all worked for jerk bosses, haven't we? Has anybody not worked ever? If you've never worked for somebody that was a jerk, that means you probably are not in the workforce. Because <laughs> all of us have. And what... Paul says the Colossian church is even when they're jerks. This is different than the parent thing. Even when they're jerks, even when they're not godly, when it comes to your duties, your responsibilities, you submit to them. Now, again, if they're telling you to embezzle money, then that's where you go, no, 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 the word of God supersedes this. But if they're just not very nice, that's not a reason to rebel against them. Because your submission to your, your boss who might be ungodly, I believe God can reveal himself to this guy or woman in that circumstance. The way you respond to them is going to be a reflection of Christ to them. So it says, obey them in everything. Verse 23, it says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as, you, as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. What this passage seems to indicate is whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men. Um, Now, this is tied to verse 22, but I really believe this is a summation for this whole section that we looked at today. We have to understand that the way I love my wife is not just about my wife, but it's about bringing glory to God. Because when I love my wife sacrificially, it stirs up something in her, not just for me, but for God as well. When she sees... Christ loving through me, it stirs up an affection for Christ. Ladies, when you can learn to to submit your heart to your husband, when you can learn to trust him and respect him the the way Scripture asked you to, it's going to stir up an affection in him not just for you but for Christ. It's going to draw him nearer to Christ, I believe, than ever before because he sees Christ in you. These relationships are all opportunities for us to bring glory to God. It's, it's an act of worship. And this is what we see, that, that we think worship is what happens before the preaching. It's the music. That's what worship is. But worship is every part of our life. Everything in your life is an act of worship. It's either worshiping God or it's worshiping something else. But it's an act of worship. Too many times in my life, my worship terminates with me. It's about making me comfortable or happy or fulfilled or whatever it is. And so this is what we have as Christians is an opportunity to make everything in our life an act of worship for our God. To point relationships back to God. To, to let our lives be an act of worship. In fact, in Romans 12:1, Paul says this I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So when we allow our lives to be sacrificial unto God, we give it to God, and say, God, use everything in my life for your glory. It's an act of worship. It's us saying, God, I'm not just gonna sing some songs and raise my hand. God, I I want everything in my life to point people back to you. I I want you to stir something up in me, so much affection in me that that it spills out, that the people around me see you in me, that it is an act of worship, how I love them and how I treat them. And that's what God's desire is for us. You know, just like a parent's responsibility is to stir up an affection for Christ in our kids. God's desire is to stir up an affection in us for Christ as well. And when we understand that everything in our life culminates with us pointing people back to Christ and revealing the glory of Christ to the world, Scripture tells us that we are carriers of His glory. When I understand that everything in my life reveals glory of God to people around me, it shifts some things. It suddenly makes things a little, a little easier for me to submit my heart to others. It makes it a little easier for me to love people sacrificially. It makes it a little easier for me to prioritize uh, my, my children's schedule because I'm, I'm understanding, hey, there's something far more important than are they going to get a partial scholarship for baton twirling someday. Not to make light of baton twirling, by the way. I told you I was going to offend everybody, right? But our Are my kids going to be productive, godly people? Are they going to do more for the glory of God than I've ever done in my life? That's what my goals are. That's what God desires for us. It's about making sure he's represented in every decision we make in our lives. Let me pray with you right now. Lord, we love you. And God, I'm grateful that you love us. God, I'm grateful that um, though, though we make mistakes, though we fall short so often, you are still good and you still love us. God, I pray that each of us in this place would have a greater affection for you than ever before. God, stir up in us a devotion for you, a desire to see you move and see you work in our lives. God, I pray that you would give us an earthly, or a heavenly focus rather than an earthly focus. That, Lord, you'd help us prioritize based on eternity, not just based on what we see or feel. God, I pray that you would help Those of us in this room that are husbands to love our wives sacrificially, Lord, let let those ladies here who are married to be uh, in submission, godly submission to their husbands, Lord, not as subservients or second-class citizens, but God, as, as women who are called and are in a mutual submission. So God, I pray that you would help us have hearts that are pulled in that direction. And God, I pray for those that are here, Lord, before we can be in submission truly to each other, we have to be in submission to you. So God, I pray today for those here that don't know you, that have never really submitted their hearts to you, never really trusted you to be Lord of their lives. Let today be the day that they would surrender their lives to you, that they would give themselves up and let you lead them well. So God, have your way among us today. Now with your head bowed and your eyes closed and nobody's looking around, I just want to ask you if you're here today and you say to me, Mel, you know what, I'm, I'm not really in submission to God, but I need to be. I'm not really in submission to Christ, but I need to be. Maybe you're religious, you grew up in a religious home or a religious family, but the truth is you've never really surrendered your life to Christ. And you say, today's my day. I wanna I want to make Jesus Lord of my life. If that's you, would you be bold enough to slip your hand up real high where I can see it? And then you can put your hand down. Yeah, I see you over here on my left, sir. Thank you, you can put your hand down. Praise God. Who else would say, pray for me, Mel, today's my day. Okay, I see you up in the balcony. Who else would say, that's me, pray for me. Today's my day. I want to make Jesus Lord of my life. All right. Now with nobody looking around, I want everybody to pray this prayer with me, whether you raised your hand or not. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. And thank you for giving your life to pay the price for my sins. From this day forward, my life belongs to you. Use me for your glory. Help me live a life that points people back to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can we give God a round of applause today? Now listen, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, whether you raised your hand or not, Scripture tells us that you're a new creation, that the old is gone and the new has come. So I just want you to know today, we're proud of you, we're excited for you, and we wanna help you take the next step in your faith journey. So you can do one of two things. You can either um, fill out a prayer card that's on the seat back in front of you. On one side, it says need prayer. On the other side, it says salvation. And you can fill that card out. It'll take you about one minute. And after you fill it out, you can stop by our information center out in the lobby. You can take it to them and they're gonna give you a free gift. We've got a Bible for you that we wanna help you get started in your your walk and help you take the next step in your journey. We're gonna get you connected to relationships. They're gonna help you grow in your faith as well and then take the next step and begin to become who God wants you to be. And if you're here in the room and you can't reach a card or you're watching online and you'd like to respond, you can text the word SALVATION to the number 555-888. When you do that, we're gonna respond back to you and we're gonna help you take the next step. And if you're here in the room, can't reach a card, um, stop by the information center. They're gonna give you a free gift and it'll get you that card to fill out. Cause again, we wanna help you take the next step and connect with you. So guys, thank you so much for worshiping with us today. It's been a great day. Baptism, celebrating new life with people. And I'm so glad that you're here to be part of it. Here's what's going to happen right now. The worship team's going to lead us in one final song. We're going to worship God together one more time. And while we're doing that, our prayer team's going to be on either side of the stage. And if you need prayer for any reason at all, during this last song, as soon as we begin to sing, step out from your seat and find one of them, let them agree with you in prayer. And then in just a moment, Pastor Dick Motzing, our associate pastor, is going to come and he'll close us out and dismiss us. So stand your feet all over the room. Let's worship together one more time before we go today, guys. I tell you often, I hope you know it. I love you more than you know. And I'm so glad that I get to be your pastor. God bless you guys Have a wonderful day.